0: Welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg. And on today's episode, congressional correspondent Susan Friccio joins us to talk about what it's like to cover Capitol Hill. We'll discuss the ins and outs of talking to members of Congress on record, as well as some of the most interesting stories she's written in her career. Susan also is going to provide us with some inside information on the politics and friendships behind the scenes, as well as give some tips for aspiring journalists. But before we get into the conversation and a little bit more about Susan, Susan Friccio is a national politics correspondent for the Washington Times. She is a frequent guest on Fox News' Media Buzz, and she has previously reported for Congressional Quarterly and the Miami Herald. Susan, it is a pleasure to have you on She Thinks.
1: Great to be on. Thanks for inviting me.
0: So why don't we start by you giving us a little bit of background as far as how long you have been reporting on issues related to Capitol Hill. I know the Senate was one of your big beats for a while and why you decided to get into this field.
1: Well, I've been covering Congress and national politics and um, government basically for more than 30 years. And I started out as an intern at CNN in 1992, um, right when that uh, presidential election year was heating up. And then I moved on to newspapers and worked my way up from, you know, a small local paper up to more national of level papers, bigger papers, and then finally into uh, steadier B covering national politics, uh, Congress, um, government in general, and um, campaigns. So I've covered you know a real wide range of things um, for a really long time, and that's what I've been doing consistently. I haven't never left the field. I've just been doing this uh, straight away for for. I guess now going on 31 years. So it's been, it's been a long time, but it's been a big learning experience, obviously, that like you really yeah. learn a lot.
0: Yeah. And there's there's so much that has changed in those three decades. I want to start just from the technology standpoint. So much has changed about technology. And part of that is just how big of a role social media plays. Um, something I often tell my clients when I'm talking about to them about getting on TV is you have to have a Twitter account because so much of news is created via Twitter these days and, and what people are tweeting. Um, every media person is on Twitter. So what have you said about trying to keep up to date with the technology?
1: Well, that's true. I mean, it's not just Twitter. It's like all the social media platforms, you know, people are on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, controversially, um, and just every social media platform trying to promote their work. And it is really helpful because it helps draw people to your news site. A lot of times people are getting this information mostly not from going directly to a news site, although that still is part of the way people get their news but they do see it on social media, especially young people. They they are not, you know, clicking on news sites. They're seeing things on their social media streams. And that's where they're getting their news. So we have to be part of that. If you're not going to be part of that, then you're, you're not going to be part of modern day news. And it's tricky, though, too, because... Um, you know, as I always like to say, there are no editors on social media, <laughs> so you have to watch, you know, you can, you can tweet things, but you know, you you may be engaging people more directly than you might want. And that's a lot of what goes on on Twitter these days. It's like this big mean fight all the time. And, um, but it's a great also place to, to showcase your work and to promote your work and people will have a chance to see, you know, your story in the morning, if you're t- tweeting it out or tweeting out your colleagues stories or putting them on Instagram or Facebook, um, and it does help. It draws eyes to the site, and it it gives your stories more prominence and more views than it maybe would get otherwise. So, social media, it, I think, is everything in modern day journalism. I don't think modern day journalism really knows how to deal with social media quite effectively, but nonetheless, that's where we are. It's 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 transformed um, the medium completely. And um, and there's no doubt about that. So you have to be part of it. I just am not sure everyone has a great idea of exactly how we should be part of it. Yet. It's, it's kind of a learning process even now.
0: Well, from a reporter's perspective and, and just following reporters out there, you kind of look at who to, who's doing it well and who's not doing it well. And unfortunately, I think some bad traits are um, highlighted and rewarded, such as going viral because of provocative takes. And so I've seen this weird thing happen on social media where maybe the article that somebody who's supposed to be a straight reporter has written is very much just kind of with the news. And then they tweet it out and give a very clear opinion on what right. they think about the story itself. Uh, can you talk a little bit a little about bit. that? trying to find that fine line of Twitter, um, especially as a reporter with... How much or maybe this is a better question. How have you been able to remain in that pocket of just straight reporting without your own personal opinions and preferences seeping in either into the article, the piece you're writing or on social media?
1: Well, I've I've occasionally wandered outside the lines myself. I think most reporters have and you, you learn really quickly um, that it might not be worth the fight. I mean, I already have a platform, right? My platform is the Washington Times and I have editors there and people I collaborate with constantly. And I know the Washington Times doesn't want me spouting my viewpoints on things because who's going to trust me if I, you know, come out strongly for or against something and then I have to report on it. Um, I think what you have to do is, well, first of all, I have an easy way out. I can tweet my stories and just say, here it is. You tell me what, you know, tell me what you think or, or what you like or don't like. And that's, that's one way of doing it. Um, and the other way is it just, you know, try to sound, try to sound, you know, like you are a fair person when you're talking about a subject. I mean, and that's really can be hard to do because like I, like I said, there are no editors on Twitter and, and reporters have gotten in trouble with their, and some have been fired um, over the years, for things they've tweeted out because they just look like they're not credible anymore as an objective journalist. I don't know what the answer is, other than just remember your job and, and remember: would you would would what you're tweeting out be something you would want to see, you know, in print or online at your news site? Would it be acceptable? You know, you're you're tweeting as a professional. Um, although some people say you know retweets are not my opinion or whatever they are but you can look at you can look at a reporter's retweets and get an idea of where they are and stand on things you know there's you're we're not robots either, so Twitter is here you know um social media is here, and I don't know that there's an easy answer here i i don't I don't think there's a black and white answer and i I think it's something that is still being kind of like a work, it's like a work in progress with journalists and Twitter. And I don't think you're ever going to get to the point where you're going to have just nothing but neutral tweets from journalists. I I don't think you're going to see that. I think it's just going to be what it is right now, which is people trying to feel their way on this thing. And some people getting in trouble for occasionally tweeting out things that, you know, are controversial. Um, But if you're starting out in the profession, especially, I mean, you just want to be careful that because social media is, is a professional tool as well. People see what you're putting out there. Um, I can't tell you how often I go and look what well, we are, you know, prospective candidates. The first thing you do is you look at their social media account. You just see what kind of stories they're and What are they tweeting? What are they saying? It's just a natural thing to do. When people. It's like young people going to college and then they getting in trouble over their social media stuff that they tweeted when they were 15 years old. If you're a professional in the field You want to just think about everything you tweet before you tweet it. And how do you want to sound? I mean, do you want to throw your personal opinion out there? Or, you know, how is it you're tweeting as a professional or as just somebody who's not in the field? And I think if you are a journalist, you really can't tweet your personal feelings. And and that's just the way it is. You have to kind of.
0: I really think. think so. Yeah, I think social media platforms are the best references when uh, an employer is looking for an employee. Just check, check out their social media accounts right. Um, right. to see see what they would put out there. So I... I want to get into just the day in the life of a reporter. Of course, when people see the final product that you put out there, they think, okay, you just wrote something, but what is it like to report? I know you've done some time on Capitol Hill. You've done some time reporting living elsewhere, especially on Capitol Hill, your work there. What is a day in the life like when you're working on a story?
1: Well, a lot of the action on Capitol Hill takes place um, outside the two chambers. It's in, it's, you know, Capitol Hill is 535 elected people and two chambers, and it's all broken up into parties and factions and sub factions and gangs in the Senate. And you you have to develop an understanding of all those things and an understanding of, you know, the individual players and how groups can influence legislation, how individuals can influence legislation. And it's You have to keep all that in mind every day when you're when you're covering Congress and you have to most days are just spent interviewing people and having conversations and finding out what's going on. And oftentimes reporters will be tracking. Maybe they're tracking, tracking a bill to see if it's going to gain momentum. And so they're tracking members to find out where they stand. Maybe there's a big scandal and they're chasing down a lawmaker who's suddenly under, you know, federal, you know, investigation. That that can be part of your day or maybe you're covering leadership elections and you're, you're just trying to figure out who's got the power, who's got the, the backing to be, you know, the next party leader. A lot of things involve, you know, not sitting down and watching the floor, which you would think, well, wait, you know, it's Capitol Hill. It's what you do. No, it's, it's actually everything that's going on outside there that influences what you see in a chamber. And then of course, You also have to know how to cover legislation as it moves through the House and Senate um, and how to follow that. You have to follow what happens when you are in the chambers. There's a lot to know. And it's, there's a lot of people involved and a lot of ways that they can influence outcomes. So it's like a gigantic chessboard really. And you just kind of figuring out where everybody's moving around all the time. And, And that's what the reporters do every day. They We all know where the various meetings are being held and there's kind of a rhythm to it of, I guess, of when people are meeting and what's happening every week. You, you, you you get into that rhythm and you know where to be standing in order to talk to people. Um, And then you kind of, I think reporters on Capitol Hill do this. And I, I think I wish they did it less, which is they tend to operate as a group and everyone's following the same story and, and they lean on each other to figure out what's going on, which, which is, necessary and believe me you you can't you it's very hard to know every little thing is going on we rely on each other so
0: so how does that work when you're also competing against other reporters they work for different news outlets so what is that balance of helping each other out because everybody needs help at one point in time but wanting to write the better story because it's your job on the line in many cases how how much you're followed and how well your stories are liked
1: yeah that's true and i and a lot of times you're If if everyone's working on the same story about a piece of legislation or they're trying to write about something happening that everyone's writing about. I mean, that that isn't you know, you're not seeing a lot of scoops. But then you also might want to cover something separately or like it's a big building. okay? so you can get lawmakers alone in various hallways if you stand in the right place at the right time and catch them alone. And then you can ask some questions and write a little story that other people don't have or get exclusives just by, you know, I used to get a lot of exclusives just by being the last person there. You know, I would stand outside the speaker's office till eight o'clock at night and I would be there when that speaker walked out and I would get a story. And I would find out what was going on. And I and you that is really in some ways how you can get the job done. there. just outlasting people. It's an exhausting job. You're on your feet all day. The floors are, you know, granite stone whatever they're made of it's not it's not a you know it can be a tough environment to be on your feet all day um, but a lot of it is just hustle you know the reporters who hustle get the better stories
0: and any any tricks that you can talk about about getting a lawmaker to speak to you especially let's say there is some kind of scandal or there's something they don't want to talk about how would you get a lawmaker to talk to you
1: well, and, and you got to build relationships too. And, and one way to build relationships is to talk to them often. You know, I, so I got some of my best stories from relationships I developed over long periods of time, and that means being at the votes, and you know, and working these relationships where you're talking to people all the time about things that aren't about you know a big scandal. You you develop relationships. I think that is a key to being a good Capitol Hill reporter. And there's a lot of people, so you got to do a lot of footwork. You got to be out there on Monday night at eight o'clock at these votes um, and talking to people late at night about what's going on. And, and you, they, you, they come to see you as someone they want to talk to. And that's one way of doing it. It's a, it's a, it's a job, like I said, it requires, it requires real hustle and it requires um, uh, dedication to wanting and build relationships with people. The, the people that got the best stories, in my view, and my ability to get some really good stories came from just working the hallways. Um, you know, and in, in, in the old days, I was working the phones, right? We, would, but on Capitol Hill, you got to you got to be there in person, talking to people all the time, yeah. and you will get you will build relationships, and you'll get some good stuff just by. Being around and listening, listening that's
0: and, and not burning your contacts meaning if somebody trusts you to be discreet or to be off the record, <laughs> holding true to those standards so that they're willing to talk to you correct Right right you have right you
1: have to establish those boundaries and, and
0: rules and all that if someone says they don't
1: want you to use their name or whatever and that's another big controversial thing these unnamed sources that I have a real problem with how they're identified in some of our modern day journalism. Um, but that's part of it as well. And in Washington is all about the unnamed source. And I, I'm not a huge fan of that. Cause I, if you don't know your source, you don't know their motive and you don't know why they're saying what they're saying. So I think that if you're going to use somebody as an unnamed source, you should at least have, give some identifying information like their political party. So people can get an idea of why they might be saying something or maybe a little more of an ID so they can get a better idea of why they're weighing in on this. Um, and, And that's also a part of being a reporter, trying to figure out those parameters as well so that your readers have some sense that they can trust what you're reporting to.
0: So for people who are reading, let's say, a, a new article that comes out, there is only one unnamed source and you don't have any type of descriptor about who this person is. Should right. you not trust that piece? And if not, how many should it just be as long as there's a descriptor of an unnamed source? Or do you think several unnamed sources, if we're going, if they're going to be unnamed, you need to have several in order to trust the validity of the piece? Well, what party do they belong to? Why are they
1: saying what they're saying? Where did they come from? I mean, you I would just go back to the most recent example of of how this was abused. In my view, was all the reporting on the Russian collusion um, stories with President Trump, and and I knew I knew that what those sources were too, and I knew they were. I knew how those stories came about and how, in my view, how fraudulent and politically motivated they were. And I, I said it at the time. I said it publicly. I said it in TV appearances that I thought this was BS a lot of the sourcing on this because I knew the motive of the people and it, it didn't and I knew the way that it was being interpreted and it it wasn't right to me the way that the these news outlets were reporting it. I thought it was it was inaccurate and unfair um and misleading. So I don't care if you have ten unnamed sources. <laughs> you can find ten unnamed sources who would say all kinds of things about people, but you know what what might their motive be? And and that's where you, the gatekeeper as the reporter, you have to be able to be fair about that. You have to be fair about why someone would be willing to come forward and say this. And, as, and you
0: just need to know that, even if they don't know the person's name. Yeah. So. And you and you bring up a good point, just the reporting on something like Russia Gate is one of the reasons why trust in the institution of media is at an all time low. This is an institution you love. I love the institution of media. What do you make of the fact that it is a crumbling institution, and do you think it's kind of beyond reach, especially when you add in all the social media aspects to this? Where are where you are and having hope that people can find a way to just get to the truth?
1: Well, people ask me that all the time, like, what, where, where do I go for reliable news? I'm like, well, you know, these days, if you want to get a real broad and fair understanding of what's going on, you should not read one source of news you should get your news from different places and I always steer people to aggregate sites that juxtapose different types of stories so you can get an idea of where people are coming from you, you can see all viewpoints I mean I know there's accusations now against even the Associated Press that they that their stories are not fair anymore that they're they've, they've leaning to the left and some of their coverage and Um, So people are wondering, well, what do I trust? I can't just turn on the evening news and watch it. And and young people are not turning the TV on at all, and they're not watching, they're not clicking on your news site. So I think there's a huge lack of trust in the fact that the journalism has become the Wild West these days, and for the foreseeable future, it's kind of the Wild West um, with social media. I think people just – get as much information as you can never trust one source source for anything. Never rely on one source for anything. You, you, you have to look at different sites and when you read a story, you know, are they representing everybody in the story? they all getting a fair say never trust a story that has sources familiar that you can't, when, when someone's being accused of something really, really big and you can't slightly identify the source, who knows who knows what you're reading who knows if okay. it's true i mean there it might be might not be though you don't you just don't know because not that that reporters you know doing something devious they're trusting a source who has motives but they don't they're not able to pick up those motives they they don't see it that way so, so
0: and unfortunately, and it sounds like for all of us, and and your advice is the same I give to people. It actually is a lot of work that one has to do. You need to read a variety of things, and then use critical thinking to try to determine what what is where is the truth in this. And and I would be I would even say be skeptical of what you read. And I think a lot of people who busy are busy probably find that discouraging because they're like, how do I have time for that? Okay. <laughs> um, but I I do think that's the state of where things are in in our media. Um, I want to ask you something else just about covering Capitol Hill. I want to talk about some of the relationships behind the scenes, of course. There are the relationships that you as a reporter have with uh, lawmakers, with the people who work for the lawmakers, sources, etc. What about the relationships that we see behind the scenes that some of us would be surprised about? I know we could look at... um, uh, when it comes to the Supreme Court, you had Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who had a wonderful relationship with Justice Scalia, correct? That is the relationship where they had a really close relationship and they disagreed so often, um, especially in their later years. Who, which senators, which members of Congress that are well-known would we be, be surprised to know they are actually friends behind the scenes, even though their politics are wildly different?
1: Well, oh, there's, there's probably less of it that these days than there used to be, but that's still... Happens, you know. You see, uh, you know, committees like, especially I, th- I think more so in the Senate that people are, uh, the chairman and and the ranking member and Senate committees work more closely together. For example, you know, Joe Manchin releases the schedule with the vice chair, with the ranking members, a Republican, and they release things together. Like, here's what we're working on next week. You know, over on the, you go on the house side on the energy committee, you have to like, dig around on the, the web page to find the minority site. You know, it's like, they don't exist. So it was, that's the way it is always been though. The house is, it's always been more unusual to have a, to have a non-acrimonious relationship between the chairman and the ranking member of the house. Whereas in the Senate they do, they, they, the Senate's got to get things done because the yeah. Senate has uh, a filibuster that forces them to get cooperation on really big and important bills. They, they, that by nature forces them to work together it changes how people are. Now, the other interesting relationship I thought was over in, um, in the house was the appropriations committee. Two women run it, have been running it for years and one is re- retired now, but it was Rosa Delaro and Kay Granger, Texas and and they had a very congenial relationship. Um, And you saw that with uh, Charlie Rangel and um, the Republican on ways and means for years, they were, you know, from Louisiana. I can't remember his name anymore. They, they would, they would always, you'd always see them walking together and talking, having long talks. And, and that's always so encouraging to see that because, you know, the public, they all want cooperation. They say they do. They want to see Congress working together more and sick of the fighting and all that stuff. So they say, they are. And uh, but in the Senate, you see that a lot more uh, because they have to cooperate together. And it certainly doesn't exist on every committee, but you you don't see the um, people. People are more um, they work together in a more friendly way in the Senate, whereas in the House, it tends to just be very oppositional just because it's, a, it's a, just a simple majority that runs the place.
0: And it's a larger body with higher turnover rate. Elections happen more frequently mm-hmm. than the Senate. So there's, there's all of that. I yeah. want to ask you about someone specifically yeah. on the Senate, somebody who's been there for a long time, and that is Senator Mitch McConnell. People have lots of opinions about Senator Mitch McConnell. I'm curious of your perspective just from a strategy viewpoint and how he's operated in the Senate over the years. He knows the rules very well and is always very strategic in covering him. What is your perspective been of him, been of him as a chess player, so to speak? Yeah, for sure. he definitely is
1: a great chess player in the Senate. Um, I know that there are a few there in the Senate that want somebody who's who's a little more of an aggressive leader um, and they feel like Mitch McConnell is plays chess a little too slowly for them. (laughs) They want, maybe they want, they want something a little more of an aggressive chess player than, than Mitch McConnell. And that's why they, they forced a leadership election this year. And there were a bunch of people voted against McConnell, but he came out, you know, a big winner and, you know, he's been away now for a while. He's supposed to be coming back pretty soon, but he, he fell and he was injured and he was in rehab I think he's coming back and, you know, he's getting up there. All these guys are in their 80s and um, there's always a kind of a clamoring for people underneath that it's time for a turnover. It's time for change. Um, of course, Republicans did not regain the majority as many thought they might with a big red wave in 2022. So that's going to make him a target for a lot of people who are, are not content with how things are going. And he also pits himself against President Trump, so President Trump divides the party um most most support him, but certainly not everybody and Mitch McConnell, of course, came out very robustly against President Trump after um the his loss in January and uh the you know the whole situation at the capitol and uh, he's no fan of Trump's. So that kind of puts him at odds with a lot of Republicans in the party who are basically backing President Trump. And, um, you know, I'm not sure how much longer he'll be leader for. He says he's sticking around and running again and all that. And, and, you know, in my view, when, when leaders, you know, or politicians, they get into their 80s, you, you, you just, you don't know how much longer they're going to yeah. be willing to work for or able to work for you just, it's just a fact, a biological fact. <laughs> you're getting, you're yeah. getting, so don't, <laughs> not, not, you know, I, I don't have any inside knowledge that he's planning on leaving. I'm just like, Oh, the guy's yeah. getting, better. he certainly says he's staying and he's coming back, but he is a, he, he does know how to run the floor. Um, he's been the Republican leader forever and he knows how to run it as a minority in the minority. And he knows how to run it in the majority and how to get things through. And, um, he is the, definitely, uh, one of the masters of that for for all the people I've covered in the Senate.
0: So speaking of Donald Trump, I am curious what you thought it was like to cover politics when he was president. I know I'm not alone in hearing this constant refrain by those who worked in the media where we were exhausted all the time, feeling like we were drinking out of a fire hose because there was so much news and his presence on Twitter created news all the time. Um, How was it like covering him? And did you find yourself exhausted as well?
1: Well, I think it was just an obsession with everything he did. And and it, what, what bothered me so much is I just felt like the press was kind of in, obsessed with him in an unhealthy way. Yeah. And I always thought they misinterpreted things that he was saying or not that I have some, you know, secret inside knowledge of interpreting President Trump. But I always felt like they just looked for any way to attack the guy at the press conferences, they create, you know, the media helped create the drama around Trump. They really did. They egged him on. They got, they they stirred him into the frenzy that pretty much took over his presidency, the way he behaved. Um, and the media was a big part of that. And um, they just couldn't stand the guy from day one. And that, you know, and then of course Biden comes in and everyone's calms down because it's like oh everything's back to okay now that now that Trump's out of office. That's the way the coverage seemed to me. Yeah. Um, and, and Trump was out there constantly. You know, here we had a president who had his own you know twenty four seven podium that he was operating, and then we're supposed to write everything he says and does. So naturally, you're like the news cycle never ends, and then. That was what it was like under President Trump, and then on Capitol Hill, it was nothing but efforts to take him down. Constantly yeah. it was all about how do we impeach him? How do we you know investigate him? How do we get his taxes? How do we you know to subpoena him? And it was it was just like a battle, basically. It was a battle between the white house and and um the and the Congress for president trump and that that's what took over basically. Um, when I was covering Congress, which is how to get him, how to get Trump out of office. Basically that was the goal.
0: Well, final question for you. If we, we may have some aspiring young journalists listening to this episode, what tips would you give to them? I know you talked about the hustle and working hard, staying late, um, pounding the pavement or pounding the cement on Capitol Hill, but what other tips would you give to anybody who is aspiring to be a, a journalist?
1: Well, you have to f- pick your medium at this point. You know, do you want to go in the TV Because right? TV journalism now they have an online platform, so you can go work for a television station and you could just be doing online stuff. You're not even doing on camera stuff, which is a harder job to secure. Obviously, everyone wants to be on camera, right? So, but the writing jobs are there at these t- television stations. You could look for look for a place and just be willing to do the work. I, editors are looking for reporters who are willing to work hard, um, and and write well. You know turn in copy that's not full of spelling errors or needs to be completely rewritten. Look at, you know, if you really want to be a journalist, look at, you know, look at how, look at other journalists and how they write and what they, and what they cover and try to learn a little bit about the style. If you're, you know, a lot of people go to journalism school and they learn to write like this. And I, I I did not go to journalism school. Interesting. Uh, No, no, I didn't go. But, um, you know, I, always, I used to always look at some of my old you know, mentors at the Associated Press or um, at other places that, where I worked or, and just try to read how they write things, how do they organize stories, how do they, who do they interview. You can learn a lot from fellow journalists, even if you never even meet them, just by reading their stories and following how they write things. And, and you can develop your own style, but there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of good journalists out there at, at every news outlet that you could, you could um, track and follow and it's so easy to do. You can do that, you know, without with with just your computer and learn that way. And then I would say you just be willing to hustle. Be willing to start doing any job in a newsroom and work your way up. Um I started in paste up. Paste up is where you you're not a writer. You're standing in the newsroom and you're laying out the paper with wax. <laughs> that's how I started my newspaper career. And I and that's what I was doing. So I was laying the paper out taking the things and, and the ads and t- pasting them all on a board and those boards would turn into the newspaper that would land on your doorstep. And that's what I did. And you, you know, then I was typing the garden column. I was willing to do anything, like just get my foot in the door and I worked my way up. So you can do that today. You can do, you can get into any newsroom and say you'll do anything. <laughs> just yeah. work. They have people like hard workers and they will give you a chance. They'll give you a chance as long as you're willing to, you know, if you, you're writing. You're doing the work and all that stuff, and you're you're not turning on copy that's unreadable. So figure out: Are you a writer? Can you write? You know, you know, if you, know, you know how to do it? A lot of people have that sense about themselves. You know that they, they can write um, or organize a story. You know, you don't have to be, you know, Ernest Hemingway, but just how do you, you know, or can figure out how to organize a story, how to put a new, new story together? You know, it's not rocket science.
0: Yeah, people can Start- learn to do
1: it. Yeah. Start a
0: Substack. I, I like to tell people who tell me yeah. they want to be a writer. And I said, okay, what are you writing? And they don't, sometimes they haven't written anything. I was like, just start writing. You don't have to have it published in a specific place. Right. News so, is a specific type of thing. If you want to be a journalism, that's a journalist. Yeah.
1: Even the Substack writers, some great Substack journalists who are not working for mainstream papers or any papers, and they are putting together phenomenal stuff. You, you Journalism is still, you know, there's a formula to that, that you follow. Yeah. And you, if you want to be a journalist and not just somebody who writes, you know, like their thoughts or, you know, contemplates the world, you, you, you have to follow a certain kind of formula for that, of how you put together a news story and all that. Um, and any news story, long investigative piece or anything, it's all, you know, there's things you want to learn how to do. And, um, it's, it's not that hard to learn. If the more you read and, and read about stuff, you'll, you can do it yourself. That's, basically how I learned to be a journalist by reading other people's stuff. And, and I'm sure that's how everybody else in my field learned as well. So it's, it's, you know, we need good journalists out there, yeah. we Need good young journalists who are interested and want to get in the field, especially, you know, people who are you know, people with diverse viewpoints. I think that's, you know, in, in ways they want to write, you know, young opinion writers. Some people are like, I just want to do opinion. I think that's exciting. Um, a young young opinion writers who are out there now who are getting a lot of attention. You know, there's so many ways you can be a journalist, and these days, and there's, there are a lot of opportunities. Even though, like the newspapers of the world, unfortunately are are fewer and fewer. Yeah, there are a lot of other ways to be a reporter. A lot of a lot of other outlets for for you to practice journalism. So.
0: Well, we appreciate that. Appreciate that advice. And I also think just a, a final note to leave people with for those who are listening and are saying, I really want to just get straight news. Do follow Susan Friccio at the Washington Times. She is an honest reporter, somebody who just tries to get all the details of the story, a quality writer, somebody who has great a great network. So I encourage people to, to check you out, Susan. Thank you so much for your time and joining us on She Thinks. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me, Beverly. And thank you all for joining us before you go. Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. So please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That is iwf.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review. It does help. And we'd love it if you shared this episode so your friends can know where they can find more She Thinks. From all of us here at IWF, thanks for watching.